Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Good evening. Uh, I'd like to start with a few things. First of all, I appreciate the opportunity, as always, to bring you a lesson from the Word of God. Y'all are violating my sense of symmetry and that there are more people on this side than on this side. And last, this is a different type of sermon probably than I've ever delivered before. I, uh, and I think it's kind of fitting. One thing is, uh, the last time I preached was two years ago at Argo, and this was the sermon I preached. This is the first time post-pandemic that I'm preaching. And I think that combined with some of the things that Adam's been dressing, uh, addressing uh, lately in uh, the series that he's been doing, and he just finished up the topic of fellowship. And I think this will dovetail nicely with that. Uh, the fact of the matter that we had a sermon this morning based on Daniel and example that he and his friends set, the passage of Scripture that Chris read at the beginning of the service talks about many heroes of faith. And so that's what I want to discuss with you tonight. 1 Corinthians 15, the end of the epistle, verse 18, the latter part of says, Therefore, acknowledge such men. And what that is, is a concluding statement based on some people that Paul has just got through talking about, their example, the work that they've done. And so what I would like to do is discuss four examples of faith. Very briefly, we're going to talk about Daniel, Stephen, Rodney, and Ed. Now, what you're thinking? You're thinking, first of all, okay, Scott, I'm pretty sure that nobody named Rodney or Ed is mentioned in the Bible. You're right. The second thing you're thinking is, and you misspelled Stephen's name. I didn't. It's a different Stephen. That's also a different Daniel. So let's start with him. Back in the 70s, growing up, since my father was a gospel preacher, often whenever we hosted a gospel meeting, the, the congregation where he preached that hosted a gospel meeting, uh, we would usually keep the visiting preacher at our house. I got to know a lot of very godly men that way. One of them was a fellow named Bill Moore. Bill Moore had started making trips over to Africa, to Nigeria. And he talked my dad into going. So my dad went. Typically, and, and, and that began a number of trips that he wound up making. He, he made the first couple with Bill, and then he paired up with a fellow named Albert Dabbs, and they made successive trips over there. They'd usually go every four or five years, something like that. Typically, they would go in January for about six weeks, come back the end of February, first part of March, something like that. Uh, and they did that for seasonal reasons over there since Nigeria lies right along the northern edge of the equator. Predominantly, my dad worked in two, I'm not sure if Nigeria has states or provinces or what they call it, but the tribal territories that he went into dealt with two specific tribes, the Ebo and the Ibo. That's Edo and Ibo. And he would go, they would go around with these men. They would preach at night on the street corners. They would meet in like open buildings. They would hold clubs. 
classes. They would hold gospel meetings. It was just nonstop for six weeks. My dad loved it. The, the conditions were debilitating on him. For one reason is he couldn't eat a lot of the local food. He just did not have the same constitution that they did for that. The other thing was the heat. Wore him out. And the other thing was the amount of work. But my dad loved it. He thrived on it because the Nigerian preachers would come from hundreds of miles away to hear the Word of God, to sit in these classes. And they didn't sit in air conditioned buildings, on padded pews, they sat on the ground. They sat on benches, and they didn't just do that for a couple of hours. They did it for a 10 to 12-hour stretch. And here's the other thing. There was not one word of grumbling. My dad loved them for that. And so he was more than willing to make successive trips after that. He would always come back, and he would give a slide and a report. He would travel around to different congregations that had hosted him and, and supported him on this trip, and he would give them a report as far as what had happened. And so that was always interesting to me because there would be like some neat little photos. One of them I remember uh, was a photo of while he was teaching a class, a gorilla ran down the middle of the road right outside the building, and he just snatched his camera up and took a picture. I just thought that was so cool because I was a huge Edgar Rice Burroughs fan and Tarzan was my man. Um, but he would meet different people and he would give you little stories about them, little vignettes about them. One of the things that the Nigerian Christians would do when they converted is they would change their name. And they would often take on a biblical name to do that. There was a young man who had obeyed, one of the other Nigerian preachers had converted him prior to my dad going over there. And he had written my dad about this young man and explained his situation. And my dad wrote him back and said, when we come, I want to meet Daniel. Daniel was a young man that lived in a very rural village that heard the gospel was pricked in the heart, and was compelled to obey it. The problem was that Daniel's father was the village witch doctor. And the village witch doctor was not a local position that you campaigned or lobbied for. It was a generational position. It was passed down from father to son. Daniel was expected to take on that role when the time came. But he refused to do it. And not only his father, but his family and the village, builders, uh, the village elders and other people were putting pressure on him to renounce Christianity and come back and begin to learn what he needed to to become the village witch doctor. He was not going to do it. And so one night, he went in and he desecrated their idols and their altar with coconut oil and some other things and kind of knocked it over and trashed it. That's a pretty powerful stance, isn't it? As a result of that, Daniel had to flee for his life. Because it wasn't just the villagers that wanted to kill him. It was his own family. It was his own father. And another Christian man took Daniel into his home, and he lived some miles away, and hid him until the furor would kind of die down. And then he essentially went as an advocate to speak to Daniel's father and the people in the village until they got things smoothed out. But think about that. His own father wanted to kill him for the stance that he took. And we've seen biblical examples of that. Think, 
some of Jeremiah's own family wanted to kill him because of the message he was prophesying. The people in the village of Gideon, when he was instructed to do the same thing, to tear down the idol that his father had built, what did they want to do? They wanted to kill him. This Daniel's act, his faith, is no different. And actually what he represents is a conviction of faith. He refused to turn his back on his obedience to the Lord. And I think that just speaks volumes about him. Look over in Luke chapter 12. In Luke 12, Jesus speaking, beginning in verse 51, says, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not division. For from now on, on five and one house, we'll three against two, and two against three, father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. We probably know people who have experienced something similar, that because of their commitment to God, of their belief in Christ, taking advantage of the promise that's given, and obeying the gospel, that their family has turned their back on them has put pressure on them to renounce that oath of faith. I can't imagine that. I didn't grow up in a family like that. My wife did. But when you make that pledge to the Lord, that is a conviction of faith, of heart, that you have to stand by. There are going to be serious consequences if you renege on that. Daniel's an amazing man to me. And I've never met him. I wish I could go back through my father's slides and find the photo that I remember my father showing of him standing next to the man in a yellow t-shirt he had given him. And I don't know if Daniel is faithful to this day, if he's even living. I hope that he is. I hope that he was. Stephen. At a congregation Dawn and I attended prior to coming here, that was really kind of where I cut my teeth teaching the high school class. And, look, teaching... Teaching teenagers is hard to keep their attention, to keep them interested. Uh, I was still kind of learning the ropes on that. I'd been doing it for, I don't know, a couple of years. Stephen was a young man that was in the class. And of all the kids in the class, Stephen was very diligent. He, he enjoyed studying the Bible. He would participate. He would ask questions. You know, he, he would answer questions. He would read passages. I mean, he was genuinely interested. And I always had a special place in my heart for Stephen. He's just a good kid. Just was. He's the oldest son of, uh, in his family. He had a younger brother. He obeyed the gospel. He was active. He would lead prayer. He'd help wait on the table, do things such as that. He was, he was fairly quiet and reserved, but uh, whatever you ask him to do, he would do it. Well, eventually, Stephen's enthusiasm started to wane a little bit. As he got older, got out, started going to college, started working part-time. We didn't see so much of him at worship services like we did. And then eventually, we did not see him at all. And that rocked on for a while. 
the congregation we were at did not have elders. What we had was the men's business meeting. And so we would usually hold those one Sunday night a month after services. So we're sitting in the business meeting, and Stephen's name comes up and the situation with it. And people volunteered to try to reach out to him. Nobody had any luck. So the next month, they determined that we need to send Stephen a letter. Because we're worried, concerned, you're not attending, doesn't look good, this needs to be addressed. I volunteered to write the letter over the course of the week, bring it back for the men to look at the next Sunday evening to meet long enough to do that and have some of them sign it. And we had determined that where Stephen worked, which was actually about five minutes from where I live, I was like, I won't mail it to him, I'll just take it and hand deliver it. So that's what I did. He was working at an auto body shop where he did paint jobs. So I walked up one afternoon on the way home, stopped by his place, walked in, stuck my head in the door, asked around if he was there. If he was, he came out, and I talked to him. I was like, Stephen, look, this is the deal. People have been trying to get a hold of you from church. He goes, I know. I was like, you haven't returned the messages. And he goes, I know. Like, well, is everything okay? I'm like, yeah, you know, everything's okay. And I was like, well, why haven't you? Well, he couldn't give me an answer. And I said, well, look, here's the skinny. And then kind of determined that this needs to be addressed. I'm giving you this letter, which they've read and signed. And I said, Stephen, I'll confess to you. I'm the one that wrote the letter. And I said, this is the first time I've ever had to do something like that. And you know what his response to me was? He said, I'm sorry I made you do that. I was kind of taken aback from that. Because typically, the response to something like that is the person gets really defensive. They don't want to talk, and they don't want to discuss it. And I was like, well, look. I said, I just live down the road. I said, I don't know how late you work, and I said, it really doesn't matter. But I said, if you want to get together and talk about some things, I was like, you are more than welcome swing by my house when you get off work. And I said, we'll just, we'll sit there and talk about whatever you want to talk about. And he's like, okay, I'll think about it. And I made sure that he had my phone number. A couple of days later, he calls me up. He goes, can we meet and talk? And I said, yeah. I said, I get home at such and such time. Does tomorrow work for you? And he said, yeah. So he came to the house the next day. And we sat down and had a discussion. Stephen had been dating a young woman who was a member of a denomination, and she was very devout in that. He had met her at a time when his attendance, where he went to church, had become lax, and so he began going with her. And she was putting pressure on him to convert and obey and place membership in this denomination. And he was dragging his feet about it because he knew it wasn't right. And I told him, I said, look, Stephen, I said, you are really compromising your position by doing this. And he said, well, you know, I had agreed to go with her and she was going to go with me. And I was like, but would she ever? I mean, you weren't coming anyway, but do you think she ever would have? And he was like, well, no, not really. And I said, exactly. I said, you are undermining your position as a Christian by doing that. And I said, you need to give serious consideration to that. He said, okay. We prayed. And I said, if you want to get together and talk some more, we can. And he was like, all right. That was in the middle of the week. Stephen showed up at service Sunday morning and made a public confession and straightened his act out. 
Stephen is one of the, he's just one of the dearest people to me because he's one of those people that whenever I run into, he's always happy to see me. I don't even know that my wife's always happy to see me. Maybe it's because Stephen doesn't see me as often as she does. But he is, and he comes up, and he hugs me, and he's just smiling, and he's just... I don't know if he feels grateful to me because I kind of stepped in, because I talked to him, because I came to him. I don't know so much that it was the letter issued from the men's business meeting. Those things had a tendency to backfire, honestly. But that is what Stephen represents an example of. It was a compromise of his faith. Look with me, if you would, over in 2 Timothy. Second Timothy 2. Verses 15 through 18. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase no more, they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will be spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection is already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. Hymenaeus and Philetus were examples of men who had compromised their faith, if not just perverted it outright. I'm so glad for the heart that Stephen had that when he was shown the position he had placed himself in, how he had compromised his faith, thus jeopardizing that, jeopardizing his soul, he didn't get defensive about it. He was willing to consider that objectively and do something about it to correct it. Rodney. I've, talk, I've spoken about Rodney here before. It's been a few years back. So when my mom and dad lived over in Grenada, Mississippi, Dawn and I would go visit them. My dad was all, I, I would always prepare a couple of sermons to give, spare my dad uh, one Sunday, give him a break in the pulpit. And uh, that was good for me. But uh, whenever I would do that, kind of like to tackle subjects that were a little bit different, that you typically didn't tend to hear a sermon on. One of the subjects I tackled one Sunday, I had done a two-part lesson on the occult. The first part of the lesson dealt specifically with what it was, what it entailed, and some of the practices and stuff that were involved in it. And then the second lesson dealt with instances or events that, per that pertain to the occult in the Bible. Uh, one of the things that I made note of in my presentation that morning in dealing with the occult and some of the organizations associated with that was masonry, Masonic lodges. As a surveyor, I got sent on a lot of jobs throughout the state. Here in Alabama, Mississippi, up in Tennessee, you go through these little bitty towns, and somewhere around the city square, you're going to see a Masonic Lodge. You're going to see a symbol. I was fascinated by that. We don't hear that much about masonry like we used to. Uh, it's a fraternal organization, mainly for men. The women do have a branch that's called the Eastern Star. The problem with masonry is you pledge your allegiance to your brothers above and beyond everything else, first and foremost. Now, you can be a Christian and be a mason. But if something regarding your brother 
seems so dire that it needs to take precedent over your relationship with the Lord, then it does. One of the things they also have to do in their pledge, their little ritual they go through, is they make a pledge via a name that is actually an amalgamation of different idols. And I brought that point out in the sermon. Rodney came up to me afterwards and he said, where did you come by this information? And I told him. And he said, is there any way I could get a copy of that? I said, yeah. I said, when we get home, I said, I'll Xerox, Xerox copies of it off and send to you. And he goes, okay. He goes, I'd really be interested in reading that. I'm like, cool beans. And I mentioned that to my dad. My dad told me this. He goes, Rodney is a mason. At the time, there were two branches of masonry in existence. There was a black branch of masonry, and there was the white branch of masonry. Uh, they have since merged. Rodney was so far up in rank in masonry that he was sent around the state to set up different chapters and lodges. He had been in it for years. And I was like, wow, I did not know that. But now I know why I was so interested and why I said what I said. So when I got home, I did. First thing I did. Made some copies, sent the information back to him. Uh, told him if he had any questions, I'd you know, be happy to discuss them with him or he could discuss them with my dad. My dad, back in the the 50s and the 60s dealt with a lot of Christian men, especially at the time in Mississippi, who were also Masons. It was just apparently something that you did, and I had not realized that. Anyway, I never heard back from Rodney. But my dad called me up not long after that, and he said, Rodney came to me yesterday and wanted me to read a letter at service this morning. And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah. And he said, so I read over the letter with him, and then I told him that I would read it. So he read it at service the following day. Rodney told him it was the same letter that he had sent out to, I don't know, I guess some of his contemporaries in masonry, in which he renounced his Masonic ties, gave up his position, because it was diametrically opposed to his oath as a Christian. And talking to my dad later on, he got a lot of flack for that. He had men that were coming to him trying to press him to remain as a Mason. Because apparently they didn't have anybody else who quite attained his level where they could go out and set up lodges. Rodney wouldn't do it. He gave all that up. He renounced all of that because he was a Christian. And that relationship took first and foremost. What he experienced was actually a conflict of faith. Look with me, if you would, in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1 and verse 10. There the Apostle Paul writes, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Look, our relationships with people are very important. But they are not as important as our relationship with our God Almighty. I mean, they can do a lot for us. They can't do what God does. 
And if someone's going to put you on the spot to make you choose, you really want to place your trust in them? Even if they've sworn you an oath? I'm a cynic when it comes to human nature. I just couldn't do that. The reason I mentioned the fact that I spoke to you about Rodney before was because I addressed this congregation when this happened. Probably just a few years after he renounced his ties to masonry. He was on the way home from work and he was hit head on by a woman who was driving drunk and she killed him on impact. God bless him for the stance that he took. Because he abided by the conviction that he needed to. Not the conviction that people were pressing on him. And he wasn't conflicted about it. Lastly, we're going to talk about Ed. Ed is hard for me to talk about. So, Don's from Fort Smith, Arkansas, and that's where my mom and dad were when I met her. Um, there was a man at that congregation named Ed, Ed Goldberg, a little Jewish man. He stood maybe this tall. He might have been, I guess, in his mid-late 80s. Have you ever seen the cartoon character Droopy? Got the saggy jaws, heavy lips. He talks very slow, kind of dour. That was Ed. That's the way he spoke. That's the way he looked. That gunmetal gray hair that was always slicked back. Since he was old and thin, his suits were baggy, kind of hung on him. He could slip both hands in the collar of his shirt, but they were buttoned up and the tie was there. He'd always shave before coming to service, but you would see gaps where there were whiskers where he had missed a spot. Didn't matter. On Sundays, Ed was at service. And there was not a happier individual. He was thrilled to be there. And more than once, he told me, he goes, man, that Brother Blasting game, I tell you what, he's forgotten more about the Bible than most people ever know. Man. Now that's a compliment. And I'm not saying that my dad was the greatest Bible scholar in the world, I don't think what Ed said was real far off. We used to play Bible trivia with my dad. You can hang that up. I mean, I remember my sister was sitting there one time taking card after card and just asking him every question on the card and looking at the answers, and he's nailing every single one of them. I can't do that. But Ed loved being with God's people. He loved worship. And he was going to be there, come rain or shine. Dawn and I had been married about a year. And uh, we got up. We were going to service that Sunday morning. And then we were going to leave at lunch and drive back to Alabama. And Ed wasn't there that morning, which was bizarre. I mean, he was old. He had some health issues and stuff. And how Ed got to service was he had a son who brought him. Son was not a Christian, but he made a point of picking up his dad and bringing him to church. He was able to come. So that's what he did. So at the end of service, my dad looks up, and Ed's son is standing in the back. 
Ed was getting ready for service that morning. And I think he said he was sitting down trying to tie his shoes and he fell out on the floor. So they called the paramedics. Paramedics got there, got him revived. What they thought, I think, was that there was a spike in his blood pressure. I think the fact that he was leaning over tying his shoes made him vagal. Is that the right medical term? Uh, anyway, he passed out. So they got him up and they were like, well, let us take you to the hospital. Ed would not go. Ed told them, I'm going to worship. That was predominant. I'll be fine. Let me go. So they did. They left. And before they left the house, after the ambulance had left, Ed had a heart attack and died. Died with the intent of going to be with God's people. And he did. Ed is an example of confidence, of faith. Hebrews chapter 12, a passage that we're all familiar with. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. There the writer says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brethren, do we have that kind of confidence? Do we have that kind of commitment? I hope we do. I think we do. I want to. I know I need to work on mine. I, I try to be here every time the door is open. And I know the same can be said for y'all. But is that because we have to? Or is that because of our confidence in the promises of God? Because that is the same issue that the Israelites ran into and that the motivation for their actions were not there. They were going through the motions. we got to be careful of that. But here's the other thing. And I wrestle with this as I get older. I don't like this part. And there are times I don't want to be here. And I'm not going to lie. There's times I wish I hadn't brought my children into this world. That is harsh. And it's not because I don't love my kids. I do. It's this world, man. As Christians, based on the promises of God, we know that there is something better than this. And we need to hold fast to our faith and have confidence in His promises. Because one of the other things we see in Scripture so many times is that when it comes to promises and it comes to man and God, who's always dropping their end of the stick? Man. God does not. And if God has promised us eternal life based on the blood of His Son, Jesus, then we can have it. And we need never lose confidence in that. See, the reason I did this sermon is because we have characters in the Bible that are great, that we can go to and read about and study about we see their examples and how they dealt with things. And we're like, I need to be more like that. And we do. But there are Christian examples all around us. 
we need to take note of. Some of y'all have dealt with things I have no earthly idea how you did it, but you did it. You had your own convictions of faith that you had to deal with, compromises of faith you had to deal with, conflicts of faith you had to deal with. I need to hear about your confidences of faith to help me when I'm going through those other three. And I don't think we tell each other enough. And it's just, sometimes it's just little bitty things that we do that set the example. Look, 2020 was just a horrible year, right? So we stopped attending. We stopped having this sort of fellowship, right? And... I'm not going to lie, within a few weeks, some of y'all were like ravenous dogs. I mean, that was driving y'all berserk. That you couldn't be around one another. And so I started getting phone calls. Me. Now look, I don't answer my phone if I don't recognize the rump number because nine times out of ten, it's a robocall. And I don't really need an extended warranty. But when I saw some of those were coming from Birmingham or Trustful or things such as that, even though I've gotten robocalls from those places, I just answered them. And guess what? It was one of y'all who just wanted to touch base. Wanted to see how I was, how Dawn was, how the girls were. Just touching base. You know what? That was nice. I probably should have done that. It drives me crazy talking on the cell phone all the time. But there's other things. Brenda Armstrong is not here, so I am going to embarrass her. I think all that woman does is write cards. Really. Just simple, thoughtful cards. that are meant to give you a boost, and they do. I've gotten some of the best cards I think I have ever received with my mother passing away. And not just a nice pretty card on the outside, and oh, there's a pre-printed scripture in there, and all you have to do is sign your name. People were writing notes and running out of room. That meant a lot. Simple things like that. They have weight and value. And some of us are better at simple things like that than others. I need to be even if it is just a card with a pre-printed scripture on there. Something, right? I probably make up something while I'm at it. One of the things Adam was trying to drive home is that we need to know each other. We do. We need to know about one another's tests and trials and tribulations. God expects us to do that. To bear one another's burdens. To share in that. And I, I, I think we do each other a disservice in that we don't do that enough. We, we try. Y'all are great about fixing food and feeding people. Y'all do that. I know this congregation is very good about benevolence. And there's that. And I think we are actually pretty good probably on the personal dynamics. But there's always room for improvement, right? I know there is with me. I know there is. 
But here's what's neat. There are people that are mentioned in Scripture who've got nothing more than a blurb. That is it. I have told you more about Daniel and Stephen and Rodney and Ed than you know about some of the people mentioned in Scripture. But the testimony that they have in their mention is something that we need to aspire to. Look with me, if you would, in 1 Corinthians 16. We're not going to look at all three passages. I just want to look at 1 Corinthians. You can look at the other two later. They're the very last chapters of those epistles, and they're right toward the end. Uh, and uh, I said 1 Corinthians. I want to look at Romans chapter 16. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 16. We'll begin in verse 1. And I want you to pay attention to what is said about some of these people. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sancreia, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper Well, that's telling. First of all, it tells Phoebe, servant. And then what is she lauded for? Helping. That's kind of That's what servants do. Continuing on. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I gave thanks, but also all the churches of Gentiles. Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives. Likewise, greet the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. What did Mary do? We don't know the specifics. But she put her back to it. And she helped in whatever manner they needed her to. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles and also who are also in Christ Jesus before me. These are people who have been Christians longer than Paul. Like Paul, apparently served time for, for that. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countryman. Some translations say my relative. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. There are simple little blurbs about some of these people, but look at the godly testimony they have. And they're recorded in Scripture. How neat is that? How neat would it be to be one of those people and just have one little thing attributed to you like that? I think so. I appreciate your indulgence. But we all know the greatest example of faith is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came here to fulfill the will of God to serve as a sacrifice for us. 
to create a pathway of reconciliation for us. And his example that we have in the Gospels is he is diligent and faithful to keep the old law that he may present himself the perfect sacrifice. And look, there are examples in the Gospels of him having to deal with convictions of faith, confidence of faith, conflict of faith, even trying to get him to compromise his faith. He didn't do it. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, and I don't know that there's anybody here that needs to on it for you need to be willing to commit yourself to that sort of faith. If you have obeyed the gospel, and I think just about everybody here has, you need to commit yourself to that sort of faith. And it's hard. That sort of commitment is hard. But isn't it worth it? Amen. Whatever your need is, please come forward as we stand in. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.